0: I realized that one of the things, and I, I would imagine that most of you uh, could attest to this, one of the things that's lacking in our culture, one of the things that's missing in our culture is margin. Right? Like if you think about your life, if you think about your life as a piece of paper, do you write all the way to the edges? The, the reason I put this up here, you see the lines, right? And you line paper It's supposed to give you margin. There's supposed to be space at the edges. And I know in my own life, when I look at my calendar for space, there isn't any. I know from talking to many of you, when I would imagine I looked at your calendar for space, there isn't any. Just a lot of times our conversations, right? uh, We have conversations like, man, I really don't have time to do that. And we wear this sort of as a badge of honor, don't we? we sort of like, I don't have time. I'm busy. I'm important. And so I felt like today what we need to talk about is margin. And I want, before I talk about this, I want to sort of give a disclaimer. And that's this. I don't have this figured out. I know I'm supposed to talk about this, but I don't have it figured out. In fact, this summer for me, has re-emphasized the fact that margin is non-existent a lot of times in my life. So I'm going to talk about this, but I want you to understand that I'm trying to figure this out just like you are. I, I sort of wanted to start by telling you a story. It was um, two years before we moved here, um, and we were going through, I was going through this church planting stuff, and one of the assignments in this residency program was, uh, was to visit another church. On Sundays, we would have to go, and they would tell us which one. And we went to this other church, and you watch their setup and their service and the whole thing, and then you go to lunch with the pastor, and you just ask them questions. So we're going around the table and eating some really good barbecue, and I always remember things by food, always. Um, I'm eating some really good barbecue, and he's like, why don't you guys tell me about yourselves? And so everybody's going around, and I'm telling them what I'm doing, and I'm leading a small group, and I'm working uh, for Chautauqua Airlines, and I'm interning as a worship pastor at this other church. And he stopped me, and he said, why are you doing that? I was like, well, don't you understand? I'm getting good experience here. Like, I'm interning as a worship pastor. I'm actually leading a group of people. This is good experience. He goes, Doing this now will set your ministry up to be frantic for the rest of your life. And like all of you probably would do, I got mad at him. I was like, you don't know my life, right? This is what I do whenever I don't like what you have to say to me. And deep in the core of me, though, I was like, ooh, what if he's right? What if the way I've decided to conduct my life, while good experience, what if it's too much? I brushed it off. Right? And then we're going through another church planting thing. And I hear uh, a Steve Nicholson. Some of you know who that is. Um, Steve Nicholson said, the way you plant a church is for the first year, for the first 12 months, you live an unsustainable life. For 12 months, burn the candle at both ends to meet as many people as you can. And at 12 months, take a vacation Sit down with your wife and figure out what normal looks like. And I was like, I can get behind that. I know all about burning the candle at both ends. I know all about that. Yeah, I like that. That sounds like good good advice. And four years into the church plant, we've still been living an unsustainable life. We began this year... Coming up on five full years. We began in January and I said we were have Jerry and I were having conversations like, I feel like you don't spend much time with the kids. I feel like we pass in the night a lot of times. We're like ships in the night and we just sort of pass on the way to things and we really we don't really spend a lot of time together. And I did the same thing that I did to that pastor. I was like, ah, I got mad because I was challenged and I didn't like it, but I realized maybe there was something to that, and so this year, Jerry and I have begun to try to live into some semblance of margin, and by that, I mean scheduling times where we don't have plans and it's off limits, scheduling times with uh, the kids scheduling times that we just are like it's wasted time on purpose, and I thought, oh, we're doing it. See, it's good. Everything's good now, and we get to this summer, uh, and, and I, things are just dropping left and right for me. Obligations, things. If you if you haven't met me or don't know me that well, I say yes to everything. Not everything, but most things. I, anything that seems like a good thing, I tend to go, I'll do that. Let me do that. Oh, you want me to do that? Sure, I'll do that. I can do that. Sure. And this summer, especially when the kids are at home, I just find things dropping all the time. And I said to Jerry about two weeks ago, I said, you know, if it would make me feel better if I had just been messing around and didn't get things done. But I look at my life and my calendar, and it's like, write a wedding sermon, write another sermon, write a this, go meet that, go to this, go to that. And I was like, it is literally one thing on top of another. And on top of that, so many of you know I'm going through this faith walking thing, and I had in my mind what God was going to do. And a couple weeks go by, and I keep sending emails to my coach And the email you're supposed to send every week is, what are you leaning into? How would you get out of the homework and all that stuff? And I sent him an email. and I was like, hey, man, I'm like four weeks behind. I just have not had time to get to this. He's like, well, that's okay. You know, get caught up, whatever. You know, is your life sustainable? And I'm like, stop it. Who do you think you are? The next week I send the same email. Only I said five weeks behind now. I'm five weeks behind. And I sent this email that was like, do I need to like back out of this? Do I need to quit? Because I'm I'm like dragging everybody else down. I'm like five weeks behind. And he's like, well, you're going to have to leave that up to God. You know, that's, that's not for me to say. And he said, but I do think that you ought to, my, from my perspective, you ought to persist and consider that maybe God is working on margin for you. I got mad at him is what I do I get mad at people who tell me the truth until I have time to sit in it and go maybe they're right maybe they're right I tell you all of that because I would venture to guess you're not unlike me nothing about this culture tells you to put margin in your life Nothing about this culture says you should take things off of your plate. Busyness is the badge that we wear, right? This is how we know that we're important. And everything about this culture tells you if you take on one more thing, you take that promotion. You got to take that job that takes you away from your your friends and family. You got to take this. You got to go do that. The culture says yes and amen, right? over and over and over. And we live in a time that is so full of anxiety. There's a latent anxiety. I would imagine many of you feel this, right? Anybody doesn't ever feel anxious? Nobody. You know what I'm talking about. Where you get to the end of the week and you wish there was more week. You're like, if I only had a 30-hour day, I could get caught up. And then you say this thing, right? How many of you have said this? Oh, it'll be better when. It'll be better when, right? It'll be better when school gets back in, because then I won't have all this. Man, you know, and I've said this. These I'm just this is just me. Man, just wait. Whenever those kids go back to school, I have all kinds of time. It'll be better when. It'll be better whenever this thing happens, whenever I get this breakthrough at work, whenever this happens, then it will be better. Friends, That's not going to happen. Until you realize that if you can't be peaceful and content now, no change is going to happen. God doesn't call you to be peaceful someday. The kingdom value of peace isn't someday. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. How many of you have ever blown up someplace and gone, whoa, why didn't I have that in me? Right? Have you ever done that? You know, somebody it's a lot like the way that I respond to those people that tell me I'm wrong. Right? And you're like, where did that come from? And you realize there's no margin between what you're feeling and where you where you're living, right? There's no gap. Somebody offends you, a guy cuts you off in try <laughs> Who was I driving with? I forget who I was in the car with the other day. And we pulled, we're going, we're we're taking, I I feel like I was going to like either your house or your mom's house. And it was with you, wasn't it? The guy, the guy, you know, in Altoona, like only one car can go on roads at any given time, right? So this guy didn't, probably just didn't see the van coming the other way and he comes and, and just goes, and as he goes by, the van almost drives into a tree, stops, puts his arm out the window <laughs> for like 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, the other car's gone. Have you ever, I'm honestly, when you think about your life, have you had responses like that? Like we all have had response, I mean maybe you don't stick your middle finger out the window and wave it at people, but we've all had responses like that, haven't we, where we're like, where did that come from? For me a lot of times it sounds like this, somebody says something that they're just, Jerry will say something, she's just trying to remind me, she's just trying to say, hey, this would be helpful, I just want to make sure you don't forget this, and I'm like, get off my back, who was that? We've had those experiences, and I imagine all of us can relate, right? You've had those experiences where something comes out of you, and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that was so close to the surface. We don't live with any margin, do we? It's a problem everywhere that we don't live with the peace that Jesus intends, right? We live with constant worry and constant anxiety. And yet, here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6. Verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? How am I going to get my homework done? How am I going to get the promotion? How am I going to write that extra message? How am I going to earn that extra money? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The problem that we live in is that we don't realize that we are sons of a king, sons and daughters of a king Who knows what we need and promises to provide it that we don't have to be people who strive how many of you forget that God is your father two of you okay cool (laughs) to those two (laughs) we forget that don't we Eugene Peterson said Uh, most of, of what preaching is is week in and week out reminding people of who they are. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that? I mean, you know, you know it, right? Like Jesus loves me, this I know, right? For the Bible tells me so. You know it. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you relate to him like a daddy? Do you know that? Deep in your heart, do you know that he loves you? Because if you don't, a lot like me, you will strive to make yourself lovable. Just like me. Many of you do the same things I do. Like, if I can accomplish one more thing, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be lovable enough to God. If I can make one more uh, thing happen, if I can get one more grade point higher, if I can get one more person, if I can any of these things, right? And all of us, we live in this place of then God will love me, then God will find me acceptable. That's not the life we're called to live. We're called to live a life of margin. And the place margin comes from is knowing, knowing that God is going to take care of you, knowing that you're loved by God. Do you know that? I think some of us, many of us would probably go, I'm not sure I know that in my heart. I'm not sure. Now, here's the thing. Here's why we don't know that, because we don't do the things that Jesus did. How many of you would say you believe that Jesus not only is your Savior, but is the model for what it looks like to be a human. Right? So, if we take Jesus as our model for what it looks like to be human, we ought to live our lives the way that He lived His life. And I want to point one thing out to you. I wrote a whole bunch of these scriptures down. Matthew 6. 33, that's what we just read. Matthew 14, 23 says, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Matthew 26, 36 says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Mark 1, 35 says, Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6, 46. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. See where this is going, right? Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. And prayed, Luke 6, 12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. You are shaped not so much by big events in your life, big decisions in your life. Those do shape you, but you are shaped by the thousands of little decisions you make every single day. The thousands of little decisions that you make, many times without thinking, they've become habit. You are shaped by those things. Many of us have been shaped so much by the culture that says, earn yourself, earn your love, do something more, get more things. Because every day we're marketed to and every day that's reinforced, right? Right? You're shaped by the things that you do every single day. And if we want to become the kind of people who demonstrate the life Jesus demonstrated, we need to do the things that Jesus did. One of the things that I have begun to do, and I don't get to it every day, I would say I get to it less days than I don't get to it, but I get to it more days than I used to get to it, is this practice of silence and solitude. Some of you are like, are we turning Catholic? The answer to that question is no. Silence and solitude. You can't do the stuff Jesus did. You can't walk the streets praying for the sick and demonstrating compassion and living a life of peace unless you find your value in being loved by God. You know the place that that happens? It happens by yourself with God. It happens in these places where you sit in silence and you allow God's presence to invade your chaos. That's where it happens. Here's what this looks like. These are actually two separate practices. They typically, you kind of do them together. Silence, exactly what it says, right? How many of you have ever tried to be silent for any amount of time? How well does that work? What happens? You remember everything that you have forgotten to do. You remember everything that might be good to do, don't you? If you sit, you remember all the traumatic events of your life. All of these things, your brain just can't stop, right? If you try to sit in silence, it's really, really hard. But I want to, because I I think you need, I think we all need to do this. We're going to practice it here in just a second. I think we all need to do this. But one of the things that historically throughout the history of the church has been a way to focus in silence is you sit in silence and you focus on a word. Usually I use the word Jesus. And every time something takes your mind, because your mind wants to do stuff, right? Your mind's like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. It's like an ADD kid, right? or any kid, it's like any kid, right? My son, everywhere we are, all the time, it's like, you're making me anxious. Um, Your mind wants to do stuff, so give it something to do. As you sit in silence and your mind begins to wander, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I return back to Jesus. And after a period of time, what will happen is you find that your mind will begin to settle. The goal here is not to accomplish anything. The goal here is to put wholly yourself in God's presence to be shaped. This is the goal. And then he talks to you. Most of you... Well, not most of you. Some of you were raised in such a way that praying is you talking. When we do this, God talks to us. That's where you get the, you are my beloved. And these are the things that bring us peace and we don't have to strive any longer. You will be changed by doing this. Silence. Solitude is exactly what you might think it is. The reason they go hand in hand is because when you're by yourself, you can be silent. Do you know how much comfort you take in noise? Like how discomforting it is to be silent because then you're alone with your thoughts. We all take, I don't know about you, but like I sit down and I'm like, I got to put some music on, right? Get in the car, I got to put some music on. What if on your way to work, you just left the music off? These are good practices to begin to engage in in your life if you want to be people who demonstrate the peace of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, and everything else will be added to you. So we're going to take five minutes. We've done this before. I know it makes a lot of people nervous. We're going to take five minutes of silence. And what I want you to do is as we do this, as your mind starts to wander and think about, oh, i got to do this thing and I have to do that thing, I want you to just, I mean, you can, sometimes it's like, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Or you know, just pick your word. I just use Jesus. I want you to draw yourself back. Okay? Cool? I promise you, the atmosphere is going to change over these five minutes. Okay, we're going to try it. So just be comfortable. How many of you feel more peaceful? How much did that cost us? It cost you five minutes. It is socially acceptable for you at your place of employment find five minutes a couple of times a day to go to the bathroom and sit down and be silent I know it sounds weird I'm telling you it's in this place that you will be shaped a lot of times in times of solitude so silence I practice a little bit separate from solitude solitude I just get a piece of paper and I just start writing and God and I usually have a dialogue it's a place where I just allow God to speak you could find places to do this couldn't you in five minutes I mean if you could do 20 minutes a day I'm learning this but the reward for the investment is disproportionate If you spend 20 minutes a day in silence before God, the payback that God gives you in transformation is disproportionate. You get more than the 20 minutes back. If we want to be people who actually do the things that we are after doing, if we actually want to be people who transform the spaces we inhabit, we have to be different kinds of people.